Officers Lou Welch and Zach Allen thought they were responding to a routine call. Just another neighborhood disturbance in Commerce Township, Michigan. Dispatch reported a complaint that a teenager was stealing tires off a car, a lucrative side hustle for hooligans. They flipped on the sirens and drove over, finding a boy with a tire iron in hand crouched next to an old Pontiac. Hey kid, is this your car? Asked Lou. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's mine, just fixing the tire here. Nothing to worry about. The boy's voice quivered. His eyes couldn't meet the officers. Something was amiss. Why don't you open the trunk up and uh, prove it's yours? The boy reached for the keys in his pocket, but hesitated. Either you open it up or we take you in, pressured Zack. The kid walked over and popped the trunk, revealing a horde of odd parts. A clock face, mercury switches, fireworks, gray powder, and lantern mantles. At the center of the stockpile was a metal toolbox locked tight with a padlock and sealed with duct tape. <laughs> What's in the box, kid? A bomb? Lou leaned over, reaching for the toolbox. No! Don't, don't touch that! It's... It's radioactive. The boy's mouth was agape, and beads of sweat ran down his face. Holy shit. Zack looked at the clock face and the switches. Is this an, an atomic bomb? Hello, this is Mike from Dark Days Radio, and joining me is Crystal and Chig for an episode, uh, Secret Frequency, on the Nuclear Boy Scout. How are the two of you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. Doing great, Mike. How about you? Oh, I'm hanging in there, you know, having fun, excited to uh, talk about a, a bit of a spooky story this evening. Now, uh, listeners, tonight you will be regaled with stories, both fact and possibly fiction, and treated to a plethora of ideas for your horror games. This episode includes content dealing with um, radiation and such. Uh, if you aren't interested in hearing about that, just skip ahead to the next episode. And now, on to the weird science. In 1993, then 17-year-old David Hahn, hoping to earn his Atomic Energy Boy Scout merit badge, attempted to build a breeder reactor in his mother's gardening shed. While he was unsuccessful in his goal, the creation of a breeder reactor, which is a nuclear reactor that creates more radioactive material than it consumes, he was quite successful in creating a neutron source, which is a device that radiates neutrons and irradiates nearby materials. By purchasing old household appliances, smoke detectors, lanterns, clocks, gun sights, watch batteries, and a block of lead that he had bored out, David was able to flood his backyard and surrounding area with over 1,000 times the normal background radiation. Panicking at his success in creating a radioactive pile, David quickly began dismantling his pile and hauling the highly radioactive pieces to the local dump. Thankfully, a chance encounter with the police saved his town from generations of mysterious cancers and related maladies as the police quickly called in the FBI, the EPA, and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. In 1995, the EPA designated Hans' mother's property, where he had built the uh, nuclear reactor, <laughs> uh, a hazardous waste cleanup site, tore down her garden shed, and hauled it and all the other radioactive materials on site to a spot in the Utah desert where they were buried. 
In good news, David did get his merit badge and went on to become an Eagle Scout. However, there's no word on whether or not his mother ever got a new garden shed. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, a couple other like uh, fun facts here. Um, the Boy Scouts of America no longer have the Atomic Energy Merit Badge. It's uh, it, it's off the books now. <laughs> they got rid of it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the uh, Garden Shed was uh, made into a uh, Superfund site, which is a big EPA, you know, kind of program to clean up hazardous waste and the like. Usually from industrial uh, usages. This is one of the few residential usages that was ever uh, uh, turned into a Superfund site. And yeah, it was actually cleaned up for uh, the uh, pretty reasonable sum, all things considered, of $60,000 in 1993 money. So yeah, definitely some fun stuff. Well, the Boy Scouts of America no longer offer the uh, Atomic Energy Merit Badge, they do have a Nuclear Science Merit Badge, which focuses on nuclear safety. Oh, do they? Okay, I missed that yes. one. I was actually looking over all the merit badges last night, so I guess they just uh, rebranded it at some point. Well, focusing on safety may may have come uh, out of the, this uh, incident here. Yep. Yeah, definitely uh, pretty interesting. So, yeah, this is a this is kind of a weird science case. Not not really horrific in many ways, but uh, I think. David Hahn's exploit really could inspire uh, some of our horror role-playing games. And so kind of moving on, um, what about what about the technocracy and mage? You know, when you think about science, uh, they're usually one of the big things you go to in horror gaming, in the, the world of darkness in particular. Anyone uh, have any ideas about that? Yeah, the uh, technocracy is like a huge part of mage. In one of the, the, the most recent iterations of mage, which is mage 20th edition, um, virtual adepts were given a much bigger plot within um, the the setting. Basically, the virtual adepts were um, a faction of technocracy that left the organization and um, brought the digital web to uh, the non-technocracy mage uh, paradigms. So, um, virtual adepts look at the world a little differently. Um, they more they see it in, in a couple of different ways. You can see it as lines of code or mathematical formulas or um, in like binary or something like that. And essentially their magic edits that code to do what the mage wants. It's the easiest way to describe them. Um, and so it's very easy to, cre to create a character or an NPC um, where you try to play around with the code that has to do with nuclear physics. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, this could be a, a budding mage who is uh, trying to create uh, an atomic clock or maybe some sort of like a nuclear computer, uh, if you will. And that could just lead to uh, some sort of a technocracy guided intervention in the, the small town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of the uh, the challenge in that would be figuring out the code um, or mathematical formula to use, and hoping it works correctly and not backlash on you because Mage is all about the backlash. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so um, I was also thinking about Warhammer Fantasy a little bit, actually, a fantasy setting instead of like a normal modern day horror setting, and the incident of the nuclear Boy Scout uh, is definitely good inspiration. 
So in Warhammer Fantasy, there's this substance known as Warpstone, which is a sometimes naturally occurring, other times uh, falling from the green moon of Morslib out in the sky. Uh, it's a solid substance uh, which can be found, usually glowing green. And it's the stuff of chaos and can horribly mutate those who are exposed to it. Um, but it can also provide uh, incredible use in alchemy and magic. Uh, you know, supercharging spells are being used in elixirs. So perhaps rumors will circulate of mutations in a working class part of the capital city of Altdorf, um, which are in truth driven by the experimentations of a budding young warlock using warpstone. But as rumors persist, and there's also rumors of, say, giant rats emerging from the sewers, uh, the player characters may need to go into the sewers and other unsavory parts of the city uh, in a misguided goose chase to find the source of these mutations and other things. And Chig, Chig, you like uh, you like Ghostbusters a lot, so here's one for you. I do, in fact, like Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. In West End Games' Ghostbusters, the way old one from the 1980s, maybe there's an intrepid young Boy Scout who, inspired by the Ghostbusters of New York City, decides to build a containment unit for his town to help trap local specters. Of course, when the EPA learns about this uh, ethereal eco project, they shut it down, which releases a cataclysmic surge of ectoplasmic energy throughout the town. Uh, then, of course, it's up to your characters, the uh, nearest Ghostbusters franchise, to come in and save the day. Oh my gosh, I love that idea. Yeah, that was a that was a fun one. I mean, it's really it's really stealing a lot of tropes from the original Ghostbusters movie from the first one. You know, including the EPA antagonist, which we should say we shouldn't be we shouldn't be that hard on the EPA. They got they got a tough job. Uh, for international listeners, the EPA we've mentioned is the Environmental Protection Agency here in the United States, and they do a lot of regulation, environmental cleanup, and the like. Um, and they're frequently demonized by certain elements of our society and and government. Uh, it's really unfortunate because a lot of them are just good people trying to uh, trying to help people and, and protect them, I... trying to keep our planet clean. That's right. I actually just had an idea where you play an early iteration of Ghostbusters, and Egon is the kid trying to do this. Oh, perfect! Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. So, yeah. So if he was, he was probably what in his like late thirties in that film. So we're looking at yeah. uh, probably like the the fifties or the sixties. Uh, late sixties. Yeah, late sixties. So it's probably gonna be like um, probably gonna be an interesting group of uh, Ghostbusters adventurers here, you know? Maybe someone's got a parapsychologist, maybe someone just thinks they're a psychic, that sort of thing. Um, maybe some oh, stodgy yeah. old engineer. Oh my gosh, yes. Using like using like Tesla kind of Tesla coils or something to uh, create uh, ghost trapping stuff. I like it, I like it a lot. It's a good one. Uh, so Crystal, what about, uh, what about never going home? Any ideas for that? So, uh, Never Going Home takes place in World War One. so you'd have to kind of use a different version of nuclear weaponry. Um, and that is actually kind of built into Never Going Home already. Um, there's a, a mechanic in there called Corruption, and that essentially spreads almost like a disease. But you could build like a soldier or, or a whisper, which is the magic paths in it, 
that essentially radiates corruption around areas and infects, inf- infects the players around them. Yeah, certainly. So going a, a step further with that, uh, we of course know from history that uh, World War One was uh, a dreadful time, particularly because of the uh, like mustard gas and other kind of uh, chemical weapons that were used. Um, and we also know, of course, that there's, uh, there's gases, naturally occurring ones, like radon. Um, so it wouldn't be that hard to create some sort of synthesis that uh, may occur in your game, uh, possibly having to do with the uh, kind of like mysterious uh, corrupting elements in that setting. Oh, yeah, very easily. Um, and a lot of the like uh, uh, chemical exploration, you know, mad scientist things are generally World War II in most movies. So taking it further back in that research of like mustard gas and radon and uh, all of that stuff, it would be a very interesting gameplay because it's it's a lot lower tech, but at the same time, it's just as deadly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the reasons why Never Going Home is such a neat game because a lot of these tropes are, they feel like they're really overdone uh, in the Second World War kind of setting. Like the weird war trope was pretty big um, actually about 10 years ago now, but there was tons of games, tons of war games, role-playing games coming out in that kind of vein. Um, so exploring that in sort of a, a different setting with a different technology level uh, is definitely fresh and new for uh, Never Going Home, which is I think why a lot of people really dig it. And what do you think, Chick? Uh, the only problem that I have with Crystal's idea and your your idea is that radon is uh, colorless and odorless, so you can't see it coming, and that really, you know, takes away from the the horror. Hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, good point. You have to be able to see the the fog rolling in that's going to kill your characters, so you have something to be terrified of. Yeah. No, that's a good point, Shig. Now. We don't have our resident chemist here with us, who's Chris, so he's probably going to be shaking his head when he listens to this, but uh, I believe radon usually kind of hangs to the ground, so what if it had to be suspended in some sort of a mist? Uh, that would give it the color uh, necessary for it to uh, uh, send some chills down the spine of the players and the player characters. I think maybe just taking it a step further and trying to bind it with like the essence of the corruption would be interesting. Ooh, even better. Yeah, definitely playing on the uh, uniqueness of that setting. Yep. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris We're is probably just like, your, oh, your science. Is... Yeah, he'll he'll let us know. Um, so what about Tales from the Loop? Uh, that's a really popular game right now with uh, its own TV show, actually. So that's definitely uh, pretty rad. So in Tales from the Loop, uh, maybe your player characters are actually the children that are playing with technology beyond their ken. Uh, maybe they're working after school in their parents' shed uh, on a discarded robot, bringing it back to life. For a more lighthearted game, uh, perhaps the adults will try to seize the robot and the kids will need to escape to the wilderness and set their robot free. You know, kind of like an E.T. sort of deal. Or for a more horrific game, well, maybe this robot was decommissioned for a reason. I'll let you figure out what might happen from there. Nothing but fun. Hey, Mike. <laughs> Definitely shenanigans. Isn't there a, a nuclear group in uh, Promethean? 
Yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, there are nuclear Promethean who are called the Zeke or the uh, Zika sometimes. I'm not sure which is the plural, which is the singular. Um, but yeah, they're like the unfortunate uh, created beings that have been given life from atomic fire. So usually you see them walking out of um, nuclear test sites or, you know, after a nuclear weapon was used on a particular city. And they're really dreadful and unfortunate creatures because they will irradiate the land around them with their wasteland effects. So if a boy like David Hahn were doing this experiment of theirs, not in a shed, but maybe in a graveyard, this could result in the creation of one of these Zeke. Um, however, I mean, that's, that's an idea right there. You know, a boy creates one of the Zeke and has to deal with, you know, the created or just running away from the scary monster that just showed up when they were messing around with nuclear material. Um, but what's actually probably more likely from this boy's actions is that uh, it actually results in uh, a mockery, the transmutation process, uh, creating one of the Pandorans, uh, probably a bunch of them. Uh, there's actually a specific Pandoran for the Zeke, which is called the uh, Carcinoma type. And they didn't really care too much about living mortals uh what they really want is to feed off of that azoth energy that resides within all the prometheans and keeps them going keeps them living despite not having a soul so the creation of all these uh carcinoma pandorans would uh allow them to remain mostly dormant in the town but maybe uh awaken on occasion to spread tales and lie in wait hoping for an unfortunate throng of the created to uh be lured into their trap that sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's not great, Shig. It's not great. There's a lot of really, because uh, because Prometheans so focused on body horror. This sort of uh, um, these sort of ideas having to do with like radiation uh, really play into it well and in a very fearful manner. Yeah, the uh, the carcinomas sound kind of just like uh, like radiation zombies. We're just out there to uh, to eat Prometheans. Yeah, pretty much. There's actually, there's also just really fun mechanics for creating uh, Pandorans in the Prometheans created second edition book. Uh, a lot of like really interesting dread powers. So you can give them um, all sorts of just like really icky ways to uh, mess with the player characters. So yeah, it's definitely some good stuff. Uh, Crystal, what about um, the kid's guide to monster hunting or the PIP system? Any, any ideas for the PIP system? Yeah, definitely. First, for Kate's Guide to Monster Hunting, um, there will be an aspect in the game where monsters drop these trophies. And um, the trophies can be used to temporarily boost a certain power for a kid or, um, or give them some sort of special ability that the monster has. Um, and there'll be a certain number of uses. And then if the kid chooses to, they can actually permanently alter themselves using it and like become part kid part monster so you have like this you know preteen frankenstein wandering around high school the you know school <laughs> and uh stuff like that because you know body horror and kids goes together great <laughs> yeah is this a children's <laughs> game of trophy hunting well, it is a tr it is a children's game, and monsters do drop trophies. Yes, so yeah, they are trophy hunters. When I play that, I'm afraid we're going to have to use every part of the monster, or at least eat it. I mean, you gotta do you gotta get something out of it. 
Ooh, do you? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, so, Crystal, how would you how would you use this um in the manner of the uh the nuclear Boy Scout story? Do you think the the shed in the uh the behind the house is where the the kids are storing all of these weird body parts, and yeah. someone finds out about it? Yes. So, uh, 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 one of the things that we have is is basically they meet up. It's kind of like if you've ever read Babysitter's Club. I don't know if you guys have or not, but basically they have meetings every week. And uh, yeah, like the the premise of that is that these kids all meet every once in a while in some secret spot and they share their stories. They compile all of everything that they found out and ante up any trophies and like barter with them and stuff like that. Mike is totally an Abby. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, but cool. <laughs> I could see Mike being Abby, yes. Really? Because I just made that name up. I've never actually read one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, let's not go into my childhood. All right, this is not the... Well, it kind of is, but no. <laughs> oh my gosh all right Jake, let's let's get ourselves out of here with a with a little god machine so that's kind of the i didn't even write it down here originally but that's really the low-hanging fruit for the nuclear boy scout isn't it i think crystal added that i don't know I, oh, I oh, oh, did. i'm sorry Jeez, i'm not even paying attention to the text colors here oh my gosh discipline is breaking down yeah, so Crystal, um, I don't know, what do you, what do you think with the, the God Machine? Are you thinking, like, this is some sort of a, an accidental infrastructure that's being created? Or uh, this uh, individual is... Uh, maybe they're not really a person. Maybe maybe the in- individual in your setting is actually an angel who's just doing these weird things in a very tame, uh, childlike, or teenage-like form. I, I could totally go for that. I could also see it where maybe the kid or child or teenager is actually experimenting with this too early like in the 1800s type of too early where the god machine that now like if you're playing in a god machine chronicle the god machine is now directing you to stop this child from creating nuclear energy way too early yeah that's interesting um i was actually watching something on the bbc a couple months back and there is like a uh there's a mine in the Czech Republic where they they would mine nuclear material back in like, you know, for hundreds of years. They didn't really understand what was going on to people. But they actually now use the um, the water from that area uh, as just like radiation baths, especially for like cancer patients and the like. Um, it's kind of a just an interesting uh, use of uh, something from way back when that could actually be like a treatment, if you will. Um, I don't really know what bearing that has on our oh. on our topic here. It's just like a fun fact, just something interesting to throw out there. I also think maybe using uh, uh, Marie Curie in a, in some sort of context with the God Machine would be pretty interesting. Whether she's like some sort of angel or uh, something like that. Mm. Yeah, it could be. All right, Jake, you want to take us out of here with a big one? Werewolf the Apocalypse? Sure. So in Werewolf the Apocalypse, radioactive waste is the purview of the Defiler Worm. Perhaps David was driven to extremes in the pursuit of his merit badge by dark whispers from Bane spirits attempting to corrupt a poor, innocent child. Rendering his neighborhood and town unlivable is just icing on the cake from the worm's point of view. 
So maybe your pack of Garu encounter a similar child who is, from their point of view, only trying to learn more about the world and advance in their scout pack. Sure, the werewolves could easily just kill the boy, but he's no more worm-tainted than any other human when they meet. Surely there's a better solution that doesn't involve killing an innocent child. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and that's one of the real interesting uh, moral quandaries to throw at uh, werewolf players, um, because usually it just comes down to fang and claw a lot of the time, but when you introduce these people that, you know, are innocent or don't deserve such a fate, uh, it really forces them to start questioning the, uh, the mores of what they do. Yeah, it's real easy when you're a combat monster to look at everything as a combat problem with a combat solution. But, you know, if you're, if you're playing a horror game, then you want to have, you know, something a bit horrific in there. And killing a child is, is pretty far up there on that horror scale. So maybe give them something to, uh, to think about before they just go full-on slaughter with uh, iron claws. Yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, this whole story can kind of serve as inspiration for uh, your favorite black dog book and mine, Freak Legion. I mean, if you need a quick background for why a bunch of people are all bound together and they're all Fomori, maybe it's uh, somebody messing around with radiation uh, in their backyard. Um, I saw some facts uh, that the radiation that was being produced by the uh, the proton... Um, neutron? Neutron, sorry, the, uh, the neutron source uh, was something like 140 times the amount which we need to have like a, a, to be registered as like a nuclear source. So this was a significant amount of radiation that was uh, affecting the local area. Um, so it would be easy to use this as inspiration for a situation where, you know, one night people go to sleep, next morning they wake up and they are starting to grow weird things, weird mutations, and uh, probably some bane spirits infecting them, causing them to become Fomori. My only problem with that is once you're a Fomori, there's no going back. So that's an easy, easy out for the Garu. Oh, it is, but I meant you being the player characters who are playing the Fomori. Oh, well, that's all That's all region. fun and games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's go strip mine us an uh, Amazon rainforest. Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So any other uh, cool ideas or other things to uh, use this uh, secret frequency for? I think I'm tapped out, Crystal. I mean, other than, like, connecting it with, like, basically all of the world of darkness, not really... I mean, you can easily chain this to to be applicable for any anything. Yeah, I think we uh, for World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness. I think we covered the big ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, hmm, uh, yeah, we we kind of covered Demon of the Descent with the Gabashin discussion that we just had. Um, of course, um, we still haven't covered this book yet, but uh, Deviant the Renegades will surely have a similar. Um, um, ideas in it for the creation of deviants. Uh, however, usually the deviant is created by an external organization changing them or affecting them, uh, rather than an individual going out and kind of accidentally stumbling onto this uh, bizarre condition that they, they end up with. So it'll be interesting uh, once we finally get around to reviewing that to see uh, what kind of inspiration uh, this story could give to that game. So just a, a real quick semi-half-formed thought here. 
in either of the vampire games, uh, Requiem or Masquerade. You could just be a vampire, chilling in your haven. You wake up one evening, you look out the window, there's the FBI. They're across the street, digging up the backyard of your of your neighbor. So now you have to figure out which of your enemies, many, many enemies, directed the FBI to your neighborhood and almost, almost found you in your haven. When in fact, of course, it's none of your enemies. It's just a crazy coincidence that the kid across the street was building a nuclear bomb. But it's such a bad situation because then the EPA is going to be knocking on everyone's house. They're going to be checking exactly. your haven. Yeah. They're going to oh be checking gosh. you for radiation, wondering, hey, you're, you're, you're almost glowing in the dark. How are you? Oh. How are you okay? Yes. <laughs> that is, you know what, Jake? That's actually, I've never thought about that, but a vampire that's been around for a really long time does build up a ton. Or, well, not a ton, but increased levels of radiation compared to anyone else, to any uh, normal human. And because their their cells have been fully formed and static for centuries, so just sitting there soaking it up like a sponge. That's right, dang, Jake. That's a great idea. That's a really great way to uh, be able to track down vampires, which I've never even thought of. That's also a fantastic power play too. <laughs> getting some, getting the EPH just be close enough to be noticed that that they're in your neighborhood, but yet not in your home. That's a shot across the bow is what that is. That is. Dang. So kind of wrapping things up here, this has been a secret frequency from Darker Days Radio. Uh, Just a quick note, uh, we're kind of going to be switching our uh, release schedule temporarily. Uh, Seems like we're going to be releasing an episode every other week instead of an episode every week reason is of course because we're really busy with writing projects um we have our wrath and glory game going on through gehenna gaming which is streaming um about every two weeks and you know a lot of our release schedule relied on having conventions going on and you know getting easy content that way which is not happening at the moment so to allow all of us to kind of keep our sanity we're going to be slowing things down just for a little bit so this episode will be out on uh may 1st may day Happy May Day to all the workers out there. And uh, probably won't expect another episode for two weeks after that. And yeah, as I mentioned, we are Darker Days Radio. If you'd like to find more of our work in horror gaming, you can check out darker-days.org. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can send us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. You can visit Darker Days Radio on Facebook. You can tweet at Darker Days Radio or join our Discord server through the link in the show notes. And until our next secret frequency, good night, good luck, and stay safe out there. <laughs>